Welcome back to another episode of Vascular Crosstalk. This podcast is brought to you by the North American Vascular Biology Organization, NAPO. My name is Lisandra Villa-Ellas, and I am a member of NAPO's Education Committee. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Dr. Kishore Wari, who is an Associate Professor of Pharmacology and Regenerative Medicine at the University of Illinois at Chicago where he's also the Director of Graduate Studies of Cellular Biology and Regenerative Medicine. Dr. Wari got his PhD from the Northeastern Hill University in India, and he did his postdoc at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. He has over 20 years of experience investigating the mechanisms of integrins and wind signaling and transcription factors as they relate to endothelial cells and vascular biology. In the last five years, his research efforts have focused on investigating the mechanisms of vascular inflammation, endothelial cell dysfunction, lung and cardiac microvessel repair, and regeneration. Welcome to another episode of Vascular Crossduck, and today we have with us Dr. Kishore Wari. Um, and I'm very excited to talk to him because he, one, in a way, he's the reason why this podcast is exists in the first place. He's the chair of the education committee in NAPO. And first of all, welcome. And tell us a little bit, why did you think making this podcast would be good for our community? Thank you, Lissandra, for having me today. Uh, really pleasure to talk to you, uh, especially about endovascular biology and the podcast. So podcast is actually, I think, accessible by students, faculty members, and vascular biologists, what we do and why vascular biology and what it does, uh, uh, why is it useful, basically. I think that's what we want to cover. We are trying to connect with other vascular biologists, <laughs> other people who wants to know what vascular biology is or who vascular biologists are, what are the problems associated with uh, studies of vascular biology? What is the usefulness? That's, I mean, I think it's a great reason. I also thought about it as like a way to bring the community closer, but also reach out to more people about what it is that we do. So I, as part of introducing you to the community, and for those who are not familiar with your work or your lab, um, why don't you give us a quick elevator speech of yeah. your research. So I'm a vascular biologist. Actually, that was not my first. I got into vascular biology a little bit late. I'm trained as a, a biochemist. I did my PhD in molecular biology and radiation biology, actually. Uh, but I'm actually a biochemist. I came to the U.S. to do gene sequencing in 1989 as a postdoc that time you know human genome sequencing was so important so i got yeah. excited about you know cloning genes i thought that's a cool thing to do so i learned a lot of molecular biology molecular genetics techniques of that time now those things we don't hear anymore for example <laughs> chromosome walking chromosome walking making libraries shotgun cloning mapping genes those are so obsolete now it sounds like ancient <laughs> <laughs> so um from there i thought you know cloning genes were not so 
important anymore. We wanted, I wanted to move on with functional studies. Then I came across, I like to read, I love to read a lot of scientific literature. At that time, 1890, uh, there are not internet. So I went to library. I spent a lot of time whenever I was tired of working in labs. So I went to library and I started reading. And at that time, the integrant signaling, signaling biology was so important. Like, what signaling? Then I read this article by Tony Hunter, and it was in Scientific American. And he had written about how SARC phosphorylation, a VSAR induced transformation, induces phosphorylation of proteins in NIH3T3. And, and he said that there are a lot of phosphorylated proteins, and those are important molecules, the signal. So that was the beginning, you know, signaling. Oh, this is cool. You know, so I wanted to do signaling studies. So then I thought maybe, you know, find some kinases, phosphatases, because it was becoming clear that uh, in cancer cells, kinases play a tremendous role in the transformation process. So, so I moved on to a lab where they were studying integrin signaling. Actually, I did not know anything about integrin signaling at that time, but it was cool. I heard yeah. it's a cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so I came across this uh, article in a journal called Cancer Research. And that was written by Martin Schwartz, if you know Martin Schwartz. Yes. Yeah. So he he wrote about integrant signaling, uh, something to do with the pH. So I thought this is weird, but it's also interesting, you know. So I went to a lab in New York City, Dr. Philippe Giancari. Uh, he was studying, starting out uh, a lab. We learned together a lot of uh, signaling integrant signaling, and it became obvious that when you transform uh, NIH TT3 cells, uh, you get lots of phosphorylated proteins and you get phosphorylation of focalization kinase. Focalization kinase was one of the most important kinases that integrant people signal. So I started reading about those. Then at NYU, that's where I started my postdoc, came across some vascular biologists. Actually, we learned how to isolate endothelial cells from a core, you know, discard yeah, Umbilical cord? Yeah, umbilical cord. So you basically tie one of the end and you add warm trypsin. Yeah. Uh, first, you wash off, wash off uh, with PBS, then add warm trypsin, you know, you switch around, and the uh, endothelial cells comes off, and you plate it on a uh, dish that are coated with fibronectin, and there it is. Those are the endothelial cells. So there was so much of information in New York was amazing. There were like so many conferences, talks at Sloan Kettering, at Rockefeller, at Cornell, and we were hearing about a lot of uh, signaling. And at NYU, we had also the environment, we had collaboration with Schlesinger, UOC. If you have heard his name, Joseph Schlesinger, he was the chair of pharmacology department. So we had weekly meetings with him. So learned quite a bit of growth factor receptor signaling 
from his group. And we use some of the techniques in our lab to study integrin signaling. And that's where I began to understand, you know, more about signaling, uh, phosphorylation, focalization kinase, how focalization kinase signals uh, from extracellular matrix to integrin to the control of cell cycle. That's how I began uh, amateur scientist. <laughs> <laughs> so sort of that's how you got into the signaling world and yeah. where vascular just cells more readily available because of the techniques and that's how you got into the vascular field? Not only that, actually, uh, I was still interested in finding out new tyrosine kinases, tyrosine kinases, and I kept reading. And there were many kinases that were cloned, actually, and they called it FLK1, some people call it KDR, some people call EGFR2. it FLT, EGF, <laughs> yeah, VEGF R2, VEGF R1. This was very confusing, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and it, 1989, 1990, uh, Ferrara, Napoleon Ferrara, he showed that BPF, VEGF, uh, is the ligand for VEGF receptor. It became it became so important then. If that, what does it do? You know, what does it do? So I become interested in something called therapeutic angiogenesis. Started reading at that time. There's a series of talks given by eminent uh, scientists at Rockefeller University. It's called Harvey Lecture. Okay, Harvey Lectures. When you go to New York, you know. You might hear this. So Harvey lectures are fantastic. You know, they call Dr. Floyd University. They invite scientists. And usually the speaker, they dress in tuxedo. Fancy. All speakers, yeah, in tuxedo, <laughs> white tuxedo, you know, suit. And and out, outdoors, they have like classical musics they're playing, uh, like string quartet. And there will be a little bit of food and things like that. And you get to meet them before uh, actual presentation. Go listen to the music, go have food, talk to the speaker in tuxedo. You can identify he's the speaker or she is okay. the speaker. So one of the speakers was Judah Falken. And it was a rainy day, actually. We moved, we went from NYU to uh, Rockefeller University to listen to him. Still, there were string a quartet there there were food and there was the speaker folkman in tuxedo right and he he talked about uh the importance of angiogenesis tumor angiogenesis mm -hmm. so uh, that was really a very uh, inspiring uh, talk for me i think m many of us many of us people who uh studied vascular biology uh then I started following his work along, you know, when I started following his work, I also learned David Shiresh. David Shiresh is another vascular biologist studying, you know, tumor angiogenesis uh, and came across many influential, inspiring vascular biologists. And I started, you know, I think I should get into vascular biology. And one day I listened to a small presentation at uh, Cornell, and and that group was talking about 
therapeutic angiogenesis by injecting growth factors like BFGF and VEGF to patients they had no other choice. They were almost terminal, you know. So they were given injection, straight injection, either BFGF, VEGF, or together. And some patients also, I think, received the gene therapy. They were injected with uh, adenovirus, adeno-associated virus, encoding the kinases, VEGF R2. So those are really, really exciting. And I thought, you know, this is important. And mm -hmm. I learned a technique, a technique from a book or from a, from a manuscript. Actually, it was developed by Mary Gerritsen. If you have heard her name, Mary Gerritsen was in Genentech, a company. I think she was at Genentech, a leading a vascular biology group. She has described a technology where you can embed uh, endothelial cell in extracellular matrix proteins such as gel or collagen gel, and you can make uh, tubes. And, and my dear friend, he did something very similar, and that is uh, in collagen gel, George Davies, if you know him, George Davies have actually studied a lot of tube formation using that technology. So I thought, why not use that technology to find out genes that drive differentiation of endothelial cells in collagen gel. And that's how I began my journey to the field of vascular biology. Yeah. And I clone, uh, I clone a gene called lipid phosphatase 3, LPP3. And that's what I do in my lab. Long story short, <laughs> From cancer biology, integrin signaling, I got into uh, vascular biology by this technique and use of endothelial cells, bad job, bad job receptor, and they were so exciting. Then I cloned this gene called lipid phosphate phosphatase 3, and this is an enzyme that cleaves sphingosine 1 phosphate. It releases the phosphate group from S1P. Yeah. It's very important. Yes. Uh, <laughs> in vascular biology. So, yeah, it's very important it for signaling. Yeah. yeah. So, it's so interesting because you're talking about how early 90s, like late 80s, the thing in this moment was cloning and being sequencing with the whole human genome uh, project. And then in the 90s, it shifted more towards um, signaling. Function. Yes, signaling. Yeah. Yes. What do you see? What do you think it is now, and what do you think it's going to be in the future? I think for uh, one of the biggest questions for vascular biologists is the organ. In uh, every organ is different. I think yeah. they have specific <laughs> niche, and there are heterogeneity. You know, and we all want to find out uh, some specific molecule that can, for example, in my lab, we want to understand how you can induce regeneration of endothelial cells. I think the organ-specific endothelial cell is very important right now. So that's why we do uh, RNA-seq, single cell yeah. uh, RNA analysis. Those are very important. And there are many questions actually that clinicians uh, would like to explore. For example, we have heard in cardiac bypass surgery, 
one of the first tube of choice is saphenous vein, great saphenous vein that you can use it to connect, you know, that diseased artery in your heart. Yeah. So, but then saphenous vein is a vein. It's not <laughs> artery, right? They have yeah. never seen any oxygenated blood. Uh, the clinicians, uh, surgeon, they hook it up anyway because that is the most accessible. But these graphs don't work that well. They fail within six months to a year. I think that is one of the challenges. For example, how can we make sure these grafts survive? I think this is one of the problems for the vascular surgeons, surgeons, uh, cardiothoracic surgeons, to make this graft survive longer. Uh, so we don't really know. Vascular biology biologists have not been able to address questions such as this. Yeah, that's such an interesting question and point. And I think that with what we know now about organ uh, heterogeneity, Right. And the differences in vascular beds, it completely makes sense that this is the behavior and like this is the outcome that we're seeing. Right. Um, but there's this gap, even in what the clinicians do and what we know as basic scientists and how we bridge that gap. Um, maybe we should have an episode on that. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The, it's just, it's, it is such an interesting question. I think in both ways, right? As a basic scientist, as a clinician, why is it specific? How the specificity for this organ uh, happens? But then how can we use this yeah. for better treatments? And how can we translate this to taking care of patients? I think those are great questions and really highlights the significance of vasculature. Right. Yes, absolutely, uh, Lissandra. So there are many questions such as this, like, for example, the other day we had a talk about orthopedic surgeons. Orthopedic surgeons are trying to make short people taller. <laughs> <laughs> so Maybe uh, so there's, his, there's yeah. a future for me in <laughs> taller. <laughs> yeah, short people taller. So there are actually uh, people who are desperate to uh, become taller. And yeah, I, heard this, uh, I heard this uh, story about a guy who actually inserted this steel rod, you know, some kind of device inside his femur. And he's about 22, 24 years old. So it's a device that you can twist the screw and you can increase the length of that in a steel rod inside right. your femur that's implanted, like every week you increase by a half a centimeter. That sounds so like a form of torture. Through. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, you know, in the vascular biology, they know so many things about uh, growth factors and geogenesis and things like that. Maybe they could use some of the signaling pathway, growth factors to lengthen you know <laughs> the bone uh, you know, the bone become taller you know there's so much money there <laughs> yeah some wild dreams <laughs> yeah yeah science fiction <laughs> yeah um i think this is a good time to play a little game that yeah, we like sure. to do with our guests it's just a word association game uh, it's just to get to know you better so just feel free to say the first thing that you think of 
What is your favorite model organism? Oh, that has to be mice. So I, I have learned quite about mouse organs. I have worked probably for like 20, 25 years. Mice probably is, we have a lot of uh, techniques to study mice. We have a lot of antibodies yeah. against mouse epitopes, you know, mouse cells. And we know also, uh, we have also equipments uh, mm -hmm. to study the physiology of mice. They are designed to study, there are like CT scans. Uh, yeah. You know, there are so many instruments developed just to study mice. So I would say that mice probably is the best for, for me now. <laughs> so let me ask you this. If you had to switch to a different model organism, which one would you switch to? I think zebrafish is very nice, small, you know, transparent. And I think it's a simple model. They grow very fast. A lot of uh, vascular biologists are working with zebrafish. Uh, so I'm, I'm a big fan of zebrafish, actually. Right yeah, now. me too. I, yeah, I think <laughs> I you wish can they study. had lungs so I could study them. But <laughs> true, true. <laughs> but yeah, it's, hey. it's such a beautiful organism for vessels. It's beautiful. Yeah. Right. So I have been doing also lung biology here. Uh, it's a very important organ. <laughs> <laughs> I think we will talk about it later on. <laughs> yes. Um, most dreaded lab technique. Oh, most dreaded lab techniques are. And you know, isolation of you know, cells. Uh, you and I talked a little bit using you know, facts sorting. Whenever, whenever you have to sort cells, you, you lose so many cells. It's like, it's painful. It it's is. painful. You, know, <laughs> you go through this process. You have to buy the antibody. You have to... Uh, Troubleshoot everything. The, yeah, you have to clean the machine, fax machine. You know, it has to be cell sorting and, and the downstream experiments. And uh, you need so much so much of yeah. expertise to yes. do this successfully. Yeah, I would say that, you know, uh, isolation of cells, uh, using fax sorting and doing downstream experiment is a big challenge. Yeah. Um, what is the one thing that you love the most to do in lab? Do you I still do I, experiments? I, I do once in a while. I like looking at the cells uh, through microscope. You know, I, I take pictures. I like to, I love to explain the structures of cells and students need it. You know, students and trainees, uh, I still uh, draw, take a pencil, you know, chalk and draw the structures, the different structures of normal cells versus cancer cells. How, what happens, you know, how cells get polarized what happens if the polarity is lost, where cells uh, get their cues and things like that. So I, I still like looking at the microscope and slides, stained slides, taking mm -hmm. pictures. And so I still train students, but don't really do every step. Right. When it comes to gram writing, what yeah. is one of the trick of the trade that you have used that you think is really helpful? Yeah, very good question. It's so important. And I'm very happy to happy that you asked me these questions. I think uh, there is something called reverse engineering of manuscript articles. Uh, I think best 
you should pick up the best articles that you like, uh, like published in uh, JCI or Cell, you know, top journals. They are very well uh, peer reviewed and they ask great questions. So convert those published articles into a, a, a grand proposal, you know. Uh, and I have been teaching actually, in, I teach at, at university, graduate school, uh, how to reverse engineer published articles, make it into a RO1. That's such an interesting technique. I never heard of it, but I'm going to try that. Yeah, so you can convert, for example, that headings, subheadings in, into a question or right. a hypothesis. Find out what is the most important question that that article addresses and work around that question or set of questions and ask the hypothesis, you know. Actually, it's there in um, abstract, in introduction. If you read mm -hmm. those carefully, you will be able to ask the right questions. Right. And of course, you will select the most relevant articles for your for you. yeah. yeah. That's such a great advice. Um, I think lastly, because you've been so involved with uh, NAPO and specifically the education committee the past years, um, I just want to talk to you about why you are involved in these uh, efforts and also why do you think trainees, early faculty, established faculty, why do you think it's important for people to be doing this service? Thank you so much, Lisandra, asking that great question. So uh, I came to know about NABBO through IBBM. So I had gone to attend IBBM in Los Angeles, UCLA. It was organized by Luisa Arespi. And it was, I think, like uh, 2012 or 2010. So I had two students, actually, uh, myself, my students, went there to present. I prepared them and they prepared as well. They were excited, they were young, you know, <laughs> they wanted to talk, meet with people. IBBM is such a great, you know. It's amazing, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. And they presented, you know, they were asked questions and they got awards for their presentation. So it was so exciting, you know. I also got excited. Hey, this is a good <laughs> thing, you know. I think I should get involved with uh, uh, uh more with vascular biologies, maybe with NABBO. So I've been regularly going to NABBO meetings, most regularly, almost every year, not every year, but since then, I have become a really a big fan of vascular biologies through because my students got awards and that was really inspiring. They brought a lot of energy back to the lab. They talked about their experience, the presentation, they also talked to their buddies, their friends here. And it was uh, really very important for other trainees to hear that, you know, right. you can go present. Hey, you can go present, <laughs> have fun. Scientists are regular people. You know, uh, you can hang out with them, have a cup of uh, tea, or you can even go uh, have beer together. You know, there's beer outside, you know, yes. sunny California. You know, it was, it was amazing. So I think that was... One of the reasons, main reasons, because my students were exposed 
they exposed to the other side of lab. It's not that we want our students to be inside lab doing experiment, but also go out, meet with other people, listen to other people, talk to other people, network, you know, learn new things, new techniques, probably whatever. Even share antibodies, share protocols, yeah. share <laughs> anything, maybe a job. Uh, next uh, postdoc position, maybe faculty position, you know, and uh, so many things you could learn from a meeting, you know. So I think NABBO gives that unique uh, niche for vascular biologists to come together, uh, collaborate, network, everything else. Yeah. Why the education committee? Education committee, uh, actually this came through I had organized a meeting called Vasculara, Vasculara yes. in uh, 2017. So I got involved with Vasculara because I had many high school students coming to uh, my lab, high school students, undergrad students doing research during summer and during winter. Uh, so I thought, you know, it might be a good thing to bring Vasculara to Chicago and get my students and I had many students actually at that time, many students uh, into this meeting so that they get to know what vascular biology is because I was getting tired of explaining to them what is vascular biology, you know, what vascular biology do. So uh, summer is a good time to get back to lab, do a little bit of research because that's the time when uh, you are not doing so much of teachings, you know, meetings and things like that. Um, I get invo involved with uh, high school students and undergrad students uh, because I think uh, it's a good thing to connect with young minds. I have come across actually many uh, bright students. Now they have uh, they have become computational uh, biologists, bioinformatics scientists. Some of them have gone on to startup companies, starting, they knew nothing. So they did not know how to pipette. <laughs> so they come here and they learn pipetting. Then uh, they learn how to calculate molarity, uh, how to calculate concentration, how to make solutions how to wash dish, but they also learned vascular biology along the way. Yeah. And uh, vascular biology. I think vascular biology is very little taught in high school. Uh, they are more interested about microbiology in high mm. school. All of them, they want to become microbiologists. Uh, there is some- <laughs> Or neuroscientists. Neuroscientists, that's right. Yeah. The other one that's very yeah. popular. Yeah. So I think that was the reason why, you know, uh, I thought, you know, there are many outreach program uh, at NABBO at Education Committee that fits with the uh, with the deficiencies that I saw in high school curriculum. 
I thought maybe we can do something about high school curriculum through NABBO through Education Committee. And that's why I got into NABBO Education Committee. You, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I think that um, because, well, we've talked about Vasilada and NABBO meetings and IBBM, which are all uh, great meetings and Vasilada is happening soon. This year is in New Orleans, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And then in October, we have the NAVO meeting. Yeah. Yes. IBBM will happen next year. Next year. So make sure that uh, anybody that's listening to us can check their website. All the meetings will be listed there. and You can find them. Um, they're great opportunities for people to join. And I think they're so fun <laughs> in general because we're just talking science, but also getting to know these people that you constantly are reading the papers and sometimes you even, um, I think you kind of put them in the pedestal. You're like, oh my God, these scientists. And then you meet them in a meeting and it's so fun and cool to yeah, get yeah, to know absolutely. them at a personal level. So definitely check out these meetings. But I did want to make a point about service in general. Some students, I think, wait until later on to be involved in service for example in any organization or postdocs will wait until their faculty things like that why do you think it's important for um, people to be engaged in these kind of uh, efforts i think uh that's a great question lisandra so i always want that you know students trainees become involved with community service you know uh, know what you have learned transmit to the you know, younger people, uh, transmit your skills, your knowledge, whatever you have learned. Don't just retain with yourself. It's of no use if you retain yourself. I like to transmit whatever knowledge I have, whatever skills I have, because it has to grow. You know, Some people can take those skills and those knowledge, take it to a higher level. You know, it's getting involved with community is so important. Uh, it's not only about having fun, but I think we should also uh, share knowledge, expand knowledge, you know, there are many unfortunate, you know, group of people, students, disadvantaged uh, students that have no access to information like this. You know, if our students want to reach out to them, they could use NABBO as a vehicle, Right. you know, so education committee, the NABBO, there are many ways that uh, our trainees or students, even faculty members can get more involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And again, plug for NABBO here. We are recruiting for different committees. So yes. if anybody's interested in participating, you can always email. You can find the information to contact us on their website and we can definitely use the extra hands in many of our committees that organize all these initiatives and programs. Um, so I would like to end this conversation uh, by asking you one, I guess, final question, which is, is there one thing that you wish you had done differently and something that you're just glad that you went for it? Maybe you didn't think it was a good idea or you didn't leave at it, but you're just glad that you did do it? Like, What sort of inspiring advice 
for everybody that's listening from your past experience? Thank you so much. That's a great question. I, I think there are many things that I could uh, do differently, but one of the things, most important thing is that I think trainees have to learn early on how to write a grant proposal, a very crisp and simple and straightforward grant proposal. You know, everything else is all in place if you learn uh, grant writing. And that came to me very late, uh, very late. You know, uh, I should have started in started early on how to write a fellowship application, how to write a simple and straightforward uh, grant proposal, RO1. I think those are the most important things that we should learn through anywhere, anywhere you get a chance, think about writing, you know, improving skills to write an effective grant that reviewers will like to read. Yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> great advice. I'm thinking back to myself, I'm like, I need to practice. <laughs> yeah. We all, I think, because these things keep changing, you know, the format yeah. keep changing, uh, focus keep changing. Uh, the NIH has like moving target. You don't know when yeah. they're going to change, you know, their focus. The people in the study sections also change, the reviewers. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's their like interest you, is going to be different. Yeah. So it's like a moving target. You have to always be on guard and see where science is going. Right. Yeah, I think that we should... dinosaur very quickly. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe in a future episode, we need to cover more of the grant writing. Sure. We'll I have an we... episode soon about... Um, I just kind of want to put it out there. We're going to have an episode on faculty jobs. And that transition from postdoc to faculty. So be on the lookout for that one. And I think with that, I just thank you so much, Kishore, because this is a great conversation. There's so much to learn from you. It's always exciting because you're always super excited to talk to us and just share everything. So it's very fun to talk to you. Likewise, uh, Lissandra, thank you so much. I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Vascular Crosstalk. I really hope you enjoyed it. And please let us know what you thought about this episode and future topics that you would like to hear about. You can reach out to us via Twitter at Vascular Biology. We look forward to hearing from our vascular community. This podcast was produced by Navos Education Committee, and I want to thank Niha Auha for her work, which makes this podcast possible. This was Lissandra Villa-Ellis for Vascular Crosstalk. And until next time...